wonderful, once again, worship song we had the chance to sing. Uh, Hallelujah, holy, holy, God is worthy of our praise. Uh, This morning, before I get into the sermon, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and 7 in just a little bit. If you got a Bible, I invite you to turn with me there. Last service, I did get a little loud a couple of times, um, but this service will try to keep it down because there are two first-time church attenders here, both of whom, young ladies, little Collins sitting right over here, two weeks old with her mom, Miss Kathleen. And then we have on this side, baby Eva and her beautiful family, her grandmother and her mom, Molly there. Welcome to church, ladies. I'll try to keep it right about here, the whole service. Y'all, it's so sweet. Lady that rocked me in the nursery, her name was Miss Johnson. She was there. She came to my, um, I think, my high school graduation um, service there at the church, but she always told me, every time I would see her, it was one of those things, say, you know, I was the first person to hold you in that baby nursery. I was like, yes, ma'am. So it's sweet to be able to go to church with young people on their first day um, in the house of the Lord. Thank y'all for being here, moms, your communities around you. We love you and we're celebrating with you. How beautiful. Um, this morning, we're continuing our conversation in the series we've called Let's Go, looking at uh, the Great Commission, when Jesus told his disciples to go into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching everyone they meet to obey everything that Jesus had taught them. We've looked at different aspects of that, what it means to live that out, how do we implement it in our lives. Last week, we even looked at this idea that we might not have all the answers. We might have some questions in that, as did the first disciples, but that doesn't nullify the sending out, doesn't take back from the fact that Jesus said, no, still go and teach and serve. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at a guy whose name is Stephen. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament, outside naturally of the stories of Jesus. Um, Stephen actually became the first Christian martyr. A martyr is someone who loses their their life um, for their faith or something serious that they believe in. And Stephen does that. He goes through that experience. Some of us may wonder, I mean, if we're trying to like rally the, the, the group and say, man, we're going to go out, we're going to send out, we're going to say, let's go, why would we dwell on something so negative and depressing? What's crazy about the earliest Christians is that when Jesus ascended into heaven and said, all right, y'all go, like, take this thing, they did, and they started getting arrested and beaten and they'd get arrested again, and they'd arrest him and say, all you gotta do to stop getting arrested is stop teaching in Jesus' name. And they'd say, okay, okay, okay. And they'd go back to teaching in Jesus' name, and they'd get arrested again. They couldn't get these folks to stop. It was spreading more quickly than they could handle. And then it starts to get even more serious with guys like Stephen, young man of the faith. It's crazy. The church has been in existence just for a matter of very likely months, maybe a year at this point. The chapters right before this, church has some disagreements group of folks are saying, hey, you're caring for the Jewish widows more than you're caring for the Greek widows, and we don't like that. So the disciples, the apostles get together and say, okay, we've got to address this head on. They get some folks together. They get seven guys, one of them, Stephen, and say, hey, we're going to pass some of these things on to you so that y'all can make sure we're ministering well to all of the congregation, not just a certain group of the congregation. Stephen's a young guy, and he's on fire for the Lord. It's interesting to me that the world Stephen was going out into when he, I believe, agreed to say, let's go, is becoming more similar to the world in which we live every year. What I mean by that is I grew up in a church, some of us grew up in a church. We have a lot of folks in our church campus here that have never been to church before this one, and we celebrate that. That is what God has called us to do, to reach as many as we can with the good news of Jesus Christ. 
But in Stephen's day, he was going out into a world teaching in synagogues, a lot of devout Jewish folks, teaching in places to people like from Greece and other areas that had never heard teachings like this before. Totally foreign concept. Twice this week in two different devotions from two different people, the Lord has reminded me that as the world is shifting, my tendency sometimes is to be a glass half empty kind of Christian when I look at the world around me. In that, sometimes I am tempted to say, Lord, why would you allow me to live in a place that is so lost and so distracted and so confused? And I continue to be reminded that God naturally is sovereign. He has a plan. He had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll never do what those guys did. But he has us here today to do things that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will never be able to do. For the first time in American history, just a few years ago, the situation has begun to shift. In that, today, across the country, we're still in a little bit of a pocket that's got a little bit more here. A majority of Americans have never heard of most of the stories in this book compared to those who have. What does that mean for us? That means that for some in this room, but definitely for our children and grandchildren, if we buy in to the Great Commission, as God commanded us to do through Jesus, and we truly choose to say, let's go, let's be sent out into the world around us, we are gonna have a different challenge than Christendom has had for the last 1,700 some odd years. In that, most people we encounter, especially as the years progress, are not going to be receiving an invitation back to church, right? Like a lot of us grew up in churches. Well, we do pray for that. He's lost his way. You know what I mean? We're gonna pray for him to come on back or invite someone back into relationship with the Lord. They've gotten distracted. They've become a prodigal. They've gone down a different road. We're gonna pray for their return to the faith, return to the church, return to the belief system. We're getting to a point where I believe we're starting to face a culture that's becoming more similar to the culture of the first disciples in that we're gonna have the opportunity, this is where the glass half empty can become hopefully half full. We are given an opportunity to invite someone to a church for the first time to invite someone to a Bible study who has never heard of anything in the Bible before, to introduce someone to a relationship with Jesus who doesn't know what that means. It's an interesting challenge, but I truly believe God has placed us here in this time for this reason. He's a famous missionary that was sent by his church in the 1920s in London, England to begin churches in India. A guy that just left after first service was in India last week. He's a professor. He was in India doing a lecture and he actually saw a statue of Jesus in northern England. I'm sorry, northern India on the, near close to the Pakistani border. Could have been related to some of these things. This guy from Europe goes to India and starts churches, spent 40 years of his life planning churches to a first generation group of believers. They had never heard the gospel before. As he got older, he knew it was time to go home. So he returned home to London and continued going to the church that sent him out the first time and it began to really wreck his thinking because the church he returned home to was a dying church that had begun to buy into the religious structure but was leaving out the Great Commission. And he wrote some beautiful works on this, pretty much saying his church in England, the culture he was returning to, was gonna be much more difficult to reach with the gospel than the group he was just leaving in India for they had heard it before. They had been familiar with it, but now they were walking 
away from it. And he began to say that post-Christendom, living in a culture that is post-Christian, would be a very unique culture to try to reach. What does that mean for us today? Y'all, if you haven't noticed, our culture is becoming more post-Christian or post-modern every year. What do we do with that? The Great Commission hasn't changed. The command of God to take the message into the world hasn't changed. I think we have to make sure we're prepared to take this message into a culture that one, doesn't know anything about it, but two, oftentimes might not want to hear it. How do we do that effectively? To me, the best way is to look at the text. So this group of people that Stephen is talking to this morning in Acts chapter six is a group of Jewish leaders that he gathered around. They're getting frustrated with him because he's telling everybody about Jesus. And they're like, brother, you gotta stop telling people about Jesus. And he won't stop. He's preaching in front of them. Most of these folks um, were devout um, Jewish rabbis and leaders. Many of them believed that the only thing people who weren't out of the Jewish faith were good for at the time, Gentiles, was either fuel for the fires of hell or to become a servant of Israel, right? Like there's no reason to share what we've got with everybody. Jesus comes along, radically transforms the world, and then sends his disciples out where? Unto all the earth. He says, every nation, tribe, and tongue. He says, take it to everybody. And they start to struggle with that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open with me to Acts chapter six. Um, we're gonna just read verse eight. We're gonna read, talk, read, talk, and kind of go through. Acts chapter six, verse eight. This is Stephen. He's about to give a crazy speech, sermon, in front of these folks. And the scripture says this. And Stephen, full of grace and power, full of grace and power, was doing wonders and signs among the people. He was full of grace and power. Other translations say full of grace and the spirit. One says he was full of grace and truth. Stephen is being sent out into the world as a person who was full of grace, full of power, full of truth, full of the Holy Spirit to lead in a culture that was not identifying with many of the things that he was teaching. What does that mean for us today? Before you attempt to share the good news of Jesus with anyone else, I would highly encourage you to spend more time with the Lord and allow his spirit to fill you. Whether it's teaching kids in a classroom, working in an insurance agency as a retired Marine Corps colonel, working on a golf course or anywhere in between. If I didn't look at you, because I don't know what you do for a living. I just looked at a few people under the table. Wherever we may find ourselves this week, we will encounter people who will not understand what we believe and may have never been exposed to it before. The best place to start is to remind ourselves that God calls us to be people who are full of grace and full of power. One of the phrases I've used over the years here, and I truly believe it, is that followers of Christ are called to be like Christ and that we are called to lead with grace and land with truth. We are to lead with grace and land with truth. In our culture, many churches have fallen into the trap of either leading and staying in grace or leading and staying in truth. To me, they beautifully come together at the cross and the resurrection of Christ in that the grace teaches what? Everyone is worthy of an invitation to come and sit at the table to break bread and have a meal and experience a sense of belonging with other believers, whether they are a believer or not. 
had a chance to go to a conference last week with Leanne Howell and some of her um, staff. Like y'all, it was an orange conference. I was at a breakout thing for the pastors and they were really hitting us hard. And one of the things I said is a lot of pastors today are trying to answer questions that the younger generations aren't asking questions for, right? The, one of the greatest things they were showing us with statistical data that most younger folks in our churches are striving for is a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, and a sense of identity. People that want to walk into a group and say, man, I belong here. That idea that somebody walks through the doors and we say, hey, I've saved you a seat. But Jesus takes it even further and that he says we're to be full of grace, lead with grace, land with truth, and that it doesn't just stay in this building. There's also a shift in the ministerial practice, right, with preachers and pastors in our country in that we are now getting more, I think, back to what the principles were, getting the body of believers together, reminding us of the truth of Scripture to send everybody back out because for the first time in American history, most people are not going to darken the doors of a church, but they will have a cup of coffee with you at work tomorrow. What does that mean? When God says, I'm sending you, he's sending me, but he's also sending you, right? He's sending y'all, or as my, you know, someone say, all y'all, like we all being sent, like we're all going out with grace and truth. So if we stay in just the grace though, we negate some of the truth. We have other churches, and some of you here, y'all are still struggling with some of that in a church environment you grew up with. Some of us grew up in an environment where it was all truth all the time. Everybody's worthy of hell. Everybody's going to hell. You're struggling. All those things can be true, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all deserving of death. What separates us from God, and Scripture says, if unless we confess Christ as Lord, we will spend eternity apart from God in hell. Truthful. Do you lead with that in your conversation with someone? You can. I tend to find it's a little bit easier to say, hey, what's your name? You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I'd like to hang out some time. We were at a Georgia game a couple years ago. Some of the staff, me and Jeff Rogers, our associate pastor, was there. If you don't know Jeff, he is one cool dude. And Jeff actually um, does this really neat thing. And he's probably watching because home. He's not feeling well, y'all, this morning. We're praying for him. He's not feeling well, but watch from home. Um, but Jeff sometimes wears sunglasses. And you can tell when it's about to be on with Jeff. Like you can tell it because every now and then when he starts getting like filled, I think it's just probably the Holy Spirit, he starts getting filled up with it, he'll go with his glasses. I have something to say. And it's like Tom Cruise, right? And Top Gun. It's just the coolest thing. I'm like, go Mav, let's get him. He just does that. We were at a Georgia game a couple years ago and there was a street preacher. Hear this, preaching truth. He was preaching sin and hell, all true. But Jeff had the sunglasses and took them off and went straight to the dude and said, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you. The joker looked at Jeff and told him he was going to hell. Like everybody's going to hell. True story. So Jeff said, I don't think so. And he got the guy aside and God allowed me to be near enough to hear the conversation of a man of wisdom and faith with a firm foundation say, brother, you're preaching part of the gospel in that you're telling everybody where they're going, but you're not preaching the whole course of the gospel and sharing with them the love, compassion, and grace of God that God extended to the world to let people miss that because Christ has already taken it from them. He said, you're just taking a piece of it. You're focusing just on the truth side that doesn't include all the grace, which is also truth. What does that mean for us today? That means, I believe, for us to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, we have to do both well. The world will not benefit if all we do, this is difficult to say, difficult to hear, the world will not benefit if all we do is say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Hear me. God loves everybody. God is love according to scripture. 
But y'all, sometimes we got to follow that up, right? I've had people tell me, getting a very lovely conversation about it, and I enjoy most of them. God says, come as you are. Jesus said, everybody's welcome at my table. If God is love, then he would never send anybody away. All the way to, well, you don't know my story. You don't know I was born like this. You don't know I have a kid who struggles with this. All of those things can be good conversations to have full of grace around a table. But we must never buy into the lie that says Jesus wants us to come as we are and stay as we are. That's not in the text. Jesus says, come as you are. I will introduce, not me, Jesus, he will introduce himself to you, transform your heart, renew your mind, save your soul, and then make you more like him every day. Last service, at that same point, I covered my mouth and I shouted, and I almost gave three people a heart. It was too much, but (laughs) ironic. But knowing that he says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Stephen was doing this stuff well. He was doing works and wonders among the people. He was out with the masses, telling them about who Jesus was. He was also calling them to repentance. He was also saying difficult things. And y'all, it was difficult in his day. They kill him for this. It's difficult in our day. He was saying bold things like, you must repent of your sins. You must stop. And he reminded them that Jesus did eat with the drunkards, right? He ate with the prostitute. He didn't do that to affirm drinking. He did it to meet people where they were and to call them out of that lifestyle into something new. That's why he would say, go and sin no more. Are we willing to try to do both of these things well, because it's tough to be people who are full of grace and truth at the same time. I'm a fan of leading with grace and landing with truth. It goes on to say in verse nine of Acts chapter six, then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen, parentheses, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. The second one is this. We all got some freedmen in our lives, all right? Not all, I've never met somebody from the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, which to me is just a fun way of the disciples saying they weren't really that free, you know, that's just me. The freedmen, as it was called. We all have or will have people in our lives, this is difficult, I'm sorry, church, who will not agree with what you're selling when it comes to your faith in Christ. We gotta prepare for it. It's not because you're you, it's not because you're not Jesus or because Jesus wasn't doing it himself. I've heard that excuse and I'm pretty tired of it. People have said, well, if Jesus, hear this, if Jesus were to share his gospel truth, then nobody, y'all ever heard that argument? People don't deny the gospel, they deny the person that's given them the gospel. Hear me, they denied Christ. As Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, one of the brothers on his right said, I'm all in. I believe this. What did the dude on his left say? I ain't buying it. So it might not just be you. There's some people who just aren't going to believe. What do we do with that? We must prepare, church. If you're choosing to say, let's go, I'm going to take this message into my school, my workplace, my home, you very likely at some point in the future will meet someone who doesn't agree with it or maybe wants to argue about it. The best time to prepare your heart for that is before you get into that situation. Stephen knew that some of the people listening to what he was saying didn't like what he was saying, but he continued to say it. Verse 10 says this, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Isn't that good? Stephen's this uneducated kid who's teaching about Jesus that they've never met, and some of the smartest people around him couldn't stand up to his teaching. They failed to stand up because of the spirit that was alive and well within him. 
If the Spirit is in you, the Spirit will allow you to do things that you cannot do on your own. We've spent our Wednesday nights talking about Forgotten God, this book by Francis Chan, and how God wants us to have the Holy Spirit in us everywhere we go. To know that when we do things with the Spirit living and dwelling within us, it will allow us to say things that we couldn't say. Have you ever done that? In a conversation with somebody, you think, man, that was good. That wasn't for me. I don't know who getting the Lord just allows things to start pouring out. When that happens, others who may be in debate will fail to stand up and argue against it. Now, that's not to say we're not gonna keep having conversations and keep having good debate, but it does mean, y'all, when we're grounded in who God is and what he's done, he will allow us to relay things in a way that we can't do on our own. Crazy thing about that is, after those verses, the folks in the room get really angry at Stephen. They actually start picking up stones and they're getting ready to stone him. In first century Jerusalem, first century this region, stoning was a pretty pretty common practice for folks that you wanted to silence. So as Stephen is continuing to share his message, people begin to pick up stones around him. And he knows, I truly believe, that he's about to, his life is, is coming to an end. And while people are debating him, questioning his character, questioning his faith, scripture says in Acts chapter 6, 15, this is his response. All were gazing at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's impressive to me. His face was like the face of an angel. Stephen, as people are attacking his character, spreading lies about him, questioning the faith that he has devoted his life to teaching, his response is to have the countenance of a person who is at peace. Isn't that wild? You ever post something on Facebook if you're older on Facebook or younger on something way cooler? Like, you ever post something? On Facebook, they used to have like the little angry face. You ever got one of those? What's your first, is it anything like mine? Mine's always like, they probably clicked the wrong button. You know, like they didn't, those buttons are so close together. They probably meant to be hot or weak wink face or like tears laughing, angry face, just their mistake, it's fine. Knowing that sometimes people may not like what we are saying. How do you respond when people attack your character? Not just an angry comment on Facebook or a tweet or an Instagram post. Like, how do you handle it when people don't agree with what you're saying, let alone start to push back with what you're saying by saying things that just aren't true? I have a couple of very good friends in my life who know me very well, and they know occasionally in the heat of the moment, my face will begin to turn very red as I am becoming more and more passionate about what's going on. As a general reminder that I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life, if those folks are in the room, they will often text me and say, take a breath, drink a Coke, trust the Lord. Because they know if I could just step back for a minute and remember the calling, have a conversation with the Lord, allow the face to calm down, you know, a lot more productive things can take place. Stephen is about to be stoned to death for his faith. And he has the face of an angel, which catches the attention of everyone around him, for they don't understand how he could stand strong and at peace in such a moment of adversity. One of the greatest things you and I can do in a moment of conflict, especially when it comes to our faith, is to be grounded in the peace that passes all understanding and say, Lord, on the inside, I am freaking out. On the outside, I want everybody to know I'm doing my best. 
We moved to Morgan County a few years ago. Everybody, a lot of people have cows. My kids want to know why we don't have things like augers and like extra hitches on my truck. I said it was because I didn't grow up with cows, all right? I didn't do that. But we did plant a garden, all right? We're trying to make some progress. Plant four raised beds in my backyard. Got a little fence around it. It's lovely. Chip and Joanna Gaines style. Me and my daughter are out there pruning the garden yesterday because we're trying to, you know, grow closer. And she has a green thumb. She loves it. Absolutely love this time of life with her. No joke. It's fantastic. We go out in the garden. It's an enclosed, fenced-in area. We're watering the tomato plants and the okra and the cucumbers. I noticed that there's a bushel of stuff in one of the flower beds. Being the big, strong ish man that I am, I reached down to pick it up and say, not in my flower bed. And when I did, the most terrifying, teeth-filled, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed bunny rabbit jumped out. <laughs> I'm talking at me, right? To attack. Mama, money, bunny, moms who love your kids, the animal kingdom doesn't do that. Like, she dipped. She was gone. Left the seven or eight or 74 babies in the nest. So mom's gone. I step back. On the outside, what do I say? Sorry, it's just a bunny rabbit's Caroline. On the inside, <laughs> freaking out. Like, I have no idea what's going on. Not the nine-year-old little girl. What is she doing? She's picking up bunny rabbits, saying, we're going to take this one home. We're going to make this one a pet. And in my mind, I'm like, rabies. You know, you're going through all these things. You can't do that. We finally encouraged all the bunny rabbits to go. On the outside, had it together. On the inside, I was questioning what I was doing that moment because we were enclosed in a fence and we couldn't go anywhere. Stephen in this story, on the inside, I truly believe was fully a man and truly understood that it was getting difficult. But on the outside, he had the faith of a lion that was a reflection of his heart. I truly believe his heart was strong and was able to stand in a way that caused the masses to say what is different about this guy. He had the face of an angel in the midst of a lot of opposition. We must ask ourselves, what does my face look like when I receive opposition? Especially when it comes to opposition from my faith. What does my face say in those moments about where I've been or who I've been spending most of my time with? To me, one of the greatest reasons Stephen was able to stand there full of peace and truth is because he has spent a lot of time with the Lord preparing his heart for a moment like this. One of the greatest things we can do as Christians in the US of A in this century is to prepare our hearts for those moments before we experience those moments. So in a moment of question, we can do something the world is not doing a good job at right now. We can be the type of people who say, okay, I disagree with you greatly. Would you like some more sweet tea? For real, or if you're unsweet tea, would you like another piece of bread? You can still sit at my table. We can still have a conversation but we are going to be, do so in a way of peace. Scripture says in verses 51 to 53, right? Remember a minute ago we said Stephen led with grace? Y'all, he's about to land the plane with some truth right here. So what he does in the book of Acts, chapter seven, if you wanna read that this week, he summarizes the, the Jewish faith. He talks about Abraham, Moses, he's laying it all out there. All these guys are thinking like, this kid's been to Sunday school, like he's doing it well, laying it out there well. And then he gets to this part where he says to the folks sitting around him, you stiff-necked people, <laughs> Some of us might read that and go, I'm sure it meant something else in like the first, no, no, he knew what he was doing. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that's Jesus himself, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the laws as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. It's interesting that he said the law is delivered by the angels while he probably still had the face of an angel. Y'all, he calls these guys out. 
He's faithful to the message and fearless in the delivery. He's faithful to the message and fearless in the delivery. I've been convicted by this on behalf of myself in our modern era and that one of my greatest concerns in my life and the life of many modern Christians is that we do too much watering down of the good news of Jesus Christ. Too many of us are apologizing for what Jesus has done or calling, instead of calling people out in their sin and calling to a, time, to a time of repentance because some of us have bought into another lie. This is the only thing you can do to love people well is to tell them how much love God has. Hear me, that's the grace. You gotta land with the truth. And the truth says, unless you confess. You think this is hard to say to an individual? You ever said it in front of two or 300 people? Unless you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you will spend an eternity apart from God. I don't think we're supposed to do that by yelling and celebrating. I think we're supposed to do it like Jesus did, weeping on the side of the road, looking at Jerusalem. We must be faithful to the message and fearless in the delivery. We have other churches. I'm friends with other pastors and they've got different churches in different stages. Some of them are trying to bring in like different shades of chairs and different music and I'm all about it. We can try all things. So I was like, you can't have coffee that's nearly as good as ours, but you can try to do a lot of other stuff, right? The means by which we tell the good news, the means by which we share the message can change over time. Many of us who grew up in church, grew up in a church with stained glass windows. I love those and I still miss some of those. Some of us grew up in a churches that had pews. I love and miss even the 80s pews that didn't have any padding because they were just tougher in the 80s. You know what I mean? Like some of us grew up in Sunday school hour where they had a bell and they'd ring the bell and if it was 1044, Sunday school teacher knew, wrap it up because they're about to start church in 15 minutes. Some of us grew up in that and there's nothing wrong with it. That's just the means by which the message of Christ was being proclaimed. We have people here who wear shorts, flip-flops, and jeans at church. I'm in jeans. The means have changed, but church, hear this. The message has not changed. The message can't change. We can change the lighting and the colors and the sound and the, the feel of the space, but the message has to remain true to the gospel because if it doesn't, it all falls apart. And the devil knows that. He's convinced entire denominations to change the message and the means, right? We can't do that. We've got to stay true to the message. It's not going to be easy. It's becoming more difficult to look at a world and say, God loves you, but he calls you to repent of your sin and have the, y'all, we're hearing it, right? You can't tell me what's sin. You can't define for me what's wrong. You can't tell me that this is just who I am, whether it was I was born this way or I choose to be this way or my mama said it was okay or my whole culture says it's okay or I've got a whole group of friends that says whatever I'm doing is to be celebrated. What do we do in those, y'all? We're there. We have to be willing as men and women of faith to be able to say the grace of God is greater than all other things in the universe which teaches that the truth of the gospel means no, you're, you're still sinning and you must repent of that. We must not water down the message. We must not apologize for what Jesus has done. Stephen did it, and they hated him for it. This is not the type of message you want to preach to a bunch of people to say, let's go, we're going to build it bigger. I mean, all this is difficult, right? All of the earliest Christians had extremely difficult lives. They're too blessed to be stressed wouldn't have flown. And if you have that on your car, I don't know it. I'm not picking on you specifically. It just came... Right? Like they were arrested and beaten. All of them. And yet they continued to say what? Oh, God loves you because he has, he has loved me. He's calling you to follow him, which means you've got to lay those things down. I'm concerned and have been convicted of falling into the trap of watering down the message at different times. Scripture says in 755, as they're getting ready to 
um, we have 51 to 53, as they're getting ready to, to take him out of the city, y'all, they're holding big rocks. They start stoning Stephen. Scripture says this as they look at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. Y'all, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and because he was full of the Holy Spirit, God allowed him to see things that nobody else could see just yet. You ever been around somebody that catches a glimpse of heaven before they're actually in heaven? That's a neat time. Stephen was not doing this on his own. He was being led by the Holy Spirit. It's wild to me. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has a, a vision of the Lord and there's angels, massive beasts flying around the throne of God and with two wings, they're flying. With two wings, they're covering their face. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And the scripture says they are shouting, holy, 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 because there's kids, I'm not gonna shout. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is. It says the room filled with smoke. The walls began to shake. Everything was going down. And the whole time, God, the Father, the creator of the universe, you know what he's doing? Sitting on the throne, baby, right? He's just receiving it. Why? Because he's worthy. Kids, sorry, the kids. he's worthy. Right? He's worthy of it. He's just receiving the praise that is worthy of his name. He has angels that do nothing but praise him since before the world was created. He's receiving it. And that's what every picture that I know of of God throughout the scripture looks like. God seated on his throne, receiving the praise, hearing the prayers of the saints. But here it shifts because one of God's children, whose name is Stephen, is about to be stoned to death for his faith. And for the first time in the history of humanity, God, because of Christ, knows what it's like to be Stephen. And he chooses, I believe, to stand up on behalf of Stephen so that when Stephen would catch a glimpse of glory for the first time, he would see the creator of the universe and the son seated, no longer at the right hand of God, standing up on his behalf. Why would he do that? I believe it's because Jesus wanted Stephen to know that he was worthy of a standing ovation. Gosh, he was worthy of a standing ovation. Do you think in that moment, maybe God the Father was like, let's receive the praise and the glory that is due our name. But God the Son through the Holy Spirit said, but do you see Stephen, Father? He's about to be stoned to death for telling the people what we told him to tell him. And he looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. What would it be like, church? What would it be like this Tuesday to catch a glimpse of heaven and see Jesus standing up on your behalf? My concern is that for many of us, we are giving Jesus too few reasons to stand up because we're too concerned with the culture. We're too concerned with the family, and I love family. We're too concerned with the lies of the enemy. And all the while, I think Jesus is waiting to say, do it on my behalf. Sometimes we get a glimpse of glory and we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Other times we just have to trust the Lord in those moments. I wrote most of this sermon this morning. I went to Milledgeville this last week for a couple of meetings and did something I haven't done before. I went on one of the big porches. Anybody go to Georgia College in here? Glory, glory, right? So we were there and I was like, man, I'm just gonna pray. And I was thinking about it and just being honest with you, in my early 20s, I was like, that was the, the time in my life where I was surrounded by more people from different cultures of different backgrounds that didn't know me as a preacher. They assumed me as a college kid. We were friends with so many people from all over the world and we had one friend in particular uh, she was from East Asia and we had become friends with her for a couple of years. I started dating this great college girl. I'm married to her now. It's a phenomenal story. But I called her one night, called Shante one night. It's my wife. And I said, Shante, I said, this girl, I said, she's flying back. I just found out she's flying back tomorrow. We've got to go. 
And y'all, and I've been convicted this week because I'm starting to realize sometimes my heart isn't broken for the loss as much as it used to be. And I've got to get back to that. I'm like, God's called me to focus on that. So I was like, Sean, we've got to go and share the good news. I can't have her leave on a plane and, and think we didn't try. So we did, y'all. We got, went to her dorm. Shante came with me. We were prayed up, Holy Ghost filled. I'm not even kidding. Like it was wild. We were saying stuff. It was the best presentation of the gospel I've ever heard in my life. It was just flowing right? Quoting scripture, turning back and forth. We were like reading stuff. We were all crying, including this other lady crying. God is so good. This is his story. And we go and we go and we go. And at the very end of all of it, resurrection, do you want to follow him? Like just repeat, God said, he did all this for you in the midst of tears. She said to us, that's the most beautiful story I've ever heard. And we're like, yes. And she goes, I just can't believe it. What do you do with that? God, you told us to go and tell everybody. Got on a plane the next day, flew home. I don't know what you did with it. We've got to trust the Lord. Are you always going to get an immediate response from fulfilling something the Holy Spirit's laid in your heart? Absolutely not. But I promise you this, you will go to bed way more at peace that night knowing that you were obedient to what God called you to do than refusing to do so. It's good news that's worthy to be shared. If you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, be ready to follow. When Stephen's hearers were enraged at him, I believe they were enraged at God itself, for Stephen was simply sharing what God had said. Right, the last verses, 54 to 60, and that's including that part. It said, now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. That he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, this is the words of a man that's about to be stoned to death. As people are throwing rocks at him. Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man, Standing, there it is, y'all. At the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice to stop their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And I believe in the next moment, this is just me. He opened his eyes and had Jesus himself embracing him, saying, welcome home. He only fell to his knees in the last moments of his life. If you're currently thinking, there's nothing that God could use me to do for I have done A, B, C, D, E, whatever. I've gone too many directions. I've got too terrible of a story. If you knew all the things I've ever done, if you knew my family I'm coming from, whatever it is. This guy Saul was the leader of the mob here. They're laying their jackets down in front of him because he was the greatest persecutor of the church at the time. He spent the next few years just ripping Christians apart. Not subtle stuff like hashtag, I don't like Christians. Like he was arresting them and having them murdered. Men, women, and kids. One day he's walking on a road, has a vision, God calls him, comes to repentance, and writes more of the New Testament than any other person. God can use anybody that turns their life over to him. Isn't it wild? The good news enraged some of the first people who ever heard it. Stephen's murdered by the same mob, but in his last moments, he says, Father, forgive them, quoting Jesus himself from the cross, becoming the first martyr of the church. The good news 
led to a really difficult reality for all of the first followers of Christ, all of those first disciples. But I believe it led to a standing ovation at the same time. If you're currently in a moment trying to share your faith, saying let's go with someone who's not receiving it, one, lead with grace, land with truth. Two, be full of the Holy Spirit. Three, a little extra, remember who else may be watching. We don't know what God is doing or what he has planned. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful this morning for being allowed to be in college with children. Lord, I thank you for Peyton this morning who's been baptized. Lord, for her trust in Jesus. Lord, for every step she's gonna take, not just out of this building today, Lord, but for the rest of her days. Lord, I just pray over her your presence will be around her. She'll be overwhelmed with your grace. For all of us, Lord, you know the world in which we live. You know the culture around us. And you know the good news that you've told us to share. God, I pray for our church family this morning that we would be willing to share the good news as Jesus commanded. Lord, for the teachers in their classrooms, for the bankers in the bank offices, Lord, from insurance agents, Lord, to retired military, everybody in this room, Lord, to choose to say, oh, I'm going and I'm sharing. Lord, allow us to be full of who you are so that when we experience times of pushback, of questioning, of debate, God, I pray that we would have the face like an angel. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to be the type of people in this world now that's starting to make no sense at all who will say things like, no, everybody's welcome, come on in. Take a seat at the table. Let's have a conversation. Let's get a meal. Let's get to know each other. Let's break bread together. Let's share who we are. Let's share what we believe. But Lord, that we will be grounded in what you've done so that everyone could sense that feeling of belonging. But Lord, that we would all encounter the truth of who you are. Lord, I pray this morning for the believers hearing these words that we would be reminded. I believe, God, that in the moments if given the chance, we may feel the most distant from you, maybe because of something we're going through on your behalf or because of your name. God, that it very well may could be that Jesus himself is standing up for us in that moment. Thank you for that. Lord, for anyone that doesn't know Christ as Lord today, I pray that before they leave this place, they would talk to me, talk to somebody in this place that they know. Lord, scripture says that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. Anybody that wants to know more about that or baptism or following Christ, God, let them be encouraged today. First, by talking to you and then by finding someone in this place they can share that with. We thank you. We trust you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, we invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing song as we worship the Lord together. If you need somebody to pray with you, talk with you, I'm up front as well. Would love to have that conversation.